This is an interesting scripture that Paul has written here. These words are totally about his ministry and, and his struggles in life and how he totally takes joy in that. We look at the first thing he says right off the bat. Rejoice because I suffer. I suffer. But why would Paul leave a life of prominence and authority only to suffer? Remember, just, just a, a short time back, he, he was seen at the, at, the, at the stoning of Stephen given, given approval. And you go a little bit further, he has an encounter with Christ and all of a sudden... Now he's, he's, he's in this ministry, in this giant ministry for himself that, that, that Christ has, has put him into that, that, that he's getting all this negative attention on. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering. What is wrong with Paul? Do we truly enjoy suffering? We don't, we don't really know what to do with this statement, do we? we? We as the church today really don't know what to do with this statement, rejoicing in suffering, because we don't like to suffer. If our AC goes out, that's a big deal. In this 110-degree weather, that's a big deal. If, 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 we, if our car breaks down, that's a big deal. Because we can't relate to it. We truly don't know what suffering really is. But why is, why is Paul suffering all the time? All throughout the New Testament, we read that Paul's ministry was one of great suffering. We don't find many examples in Paul's ministry where it's just good times for Paul, Right? We do see some advances of the gospel in the church. We, we do see that, but we see the mighty struggles that Paul had while he's going through that time. Just a few examples. Look at the times he was stoned. All the times that Paul was stoned just for presenting the gospel. How many times did those stones leave marks and cut his skin and bruises and break bones that he walked through life with? Examples of what his suffering truly was. How many bones did he have through stonings that never healed properly and, and were at an odd angle that every time he felt that or looked at that or felt that pain, he was a reminder of what his sufferings are? He was whipped. He was beaten. He was thrown into prison. I mean, I don't know how much time he spent in prison over just teaching the gospel, planting churches, fathering Christ's word. And all Paul had to do was stop. All he had to do was stop. All he had to do was quit, walk away. I'm not doing this. Find someone else. All he had to do was stop. But what, 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 is, what does Acts chapter 9 tell us? Remember the encounter that Paul had with Christ on the road to Damascus? Remember that? He said he, was, he, he fell to the ground. And then, and then you know, a little bit later we find that he's, he's, uh, he, he's in this house on Straight Street. <laughs> find it funny that there's a name of a street, but you know, on Straight Street, and, and, and the Lord tells, Anna, what does he tell Ananias? Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. He called Paul. He chose Paul to go and do this. But all Paul had to do was stop, and his pain very well might have stopped with it. His earthly persecution, his his his, amongst his peers would have stopped. He'd, he'd have been found more favorable amongst his peers if he'd have just stopped. I can remember early on in my adult life, I was a young man. I, I started working at Fort Bound Up Electric Co-op. Worked there for a few years, and we was called out on a, what we call a case of trouble to an oil field place. And when you go out to these oil field places <laughs> with some of these pumpers, I'm just telling you, you don't ever know what you're going to get. There's some good ones, but I'm just telling you, it, it, it's, it's a lot of times it's, a, it's an adventure. And this one was one of those times we pulled up to this, this, uh, this oil field uh, 
unit and and we get out of the truck and this pumper comes running over to us says hey y'all got to come look at this we walk over thinking man what's this thing that he's having trouble with he's excited I mean what's what's he got and he walks over and he says hey every time I do this and he put his hand on his fuse box he went ah he says it shocks me (laughs) and we look at one another and we look back at him and say okay quit doing that (laughs) first don't do that (laughs) Paul just had to quit doing that and he wouldn't have suffered any further right But instead, Paul says, I rejoice. Paul rejoices because he suffers. It makes no sense to us. In in, in that same passage where Ananias is sent to, to go get Paul, the Lord tells Ananias, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He's ordaining him to suffer. I will show him what his suffering will be. How many of you are willing to sign up for that? Paul made up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? What does that mean that, does that mean that Paul completed what Christ didn't complete? No. Because we know that the New Testament teaches of the sufficiency of Christ's atonement alone, right? Christ said on the cross, it is finished. He completed the work that needed to be done for atoning salvation. But what does it mean when Paul says, He made up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. You see, Paul knows every time he carries the gospel, the message of Christ, and he is persecuted for it, he is beaten, he is stoned, he is whipped, he is imprisoned. He knows that that was meant for Christ. And he's taken on the the, the full brunt of what, if Christ was still walking amongst us, what he would be getting. And Paul says, you know what? I rejoice in that suffering. What greater joy is there than to get what was meant for Christ? that's, That's Paul's whole point here. What greater privilege than to be given what is intended for Christ? You see, Paul gets it. Paul gets it. That that that's that's why that's why he's written so much. That's why he's he's in here so much. Paul gets it. He lived the life. This is what Paul meant when he says. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The very first word is significant. He says, now I rejoice. And I think that this sums up what this whole sermon's about today. It's a, it, it is easy to say, find things about patience and sufferings and triumph and sorrow when we're prosperous and comfortable, right? I mean, we, we pretty much live that way here in Olney, Texas. We live in a close-knit community we, we live in decent houses. We, we have good jobs. We, we drive nice cars. We have food on the table. Uh, we, we, have, you know, we, we have good family and, and friends and social groups and all this stuff that, that, that we're, we have access to here in Olney, Texas or in America alone that we truly don't understand what sufferings are. I mean, we, we, we feel like we're suffering if we miss the latest social event. Or if we're, you know, gossiped about. Or if we're not included. You know, that's suffering for us. And I'm not saying that that's not suffering. But we truly don't get it, I don't think, as Americans today. But it is different when we are in the furnace. This man with the chain on his wrist and the iron entering into his soul with his life in danger and all the future uncertain can say, now rejoice. 
this bird truly sings in a darkened cage. Paul explicitly rejoiced in all of his sufferings. Romans 5.3 speaks of rejoicing in our sufferings. 1 Peter 4.13 says to suffer and rejoice. Acts 5.41 tells of the apostles rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Paul rejoiced, but why? I mean, does anyone here truly understand rejoicing through suffering and enduring hardships? Have we as believers and followers of Christ lost sight of what that means? Maybe this is why we don't deny ourselves, because we don't want to endure hardships. This, maybe this is why we don't guard our witness. Maybe it's why we don't talk of Christ's goodness anywhere but in the church. We don't humble and deny ourselves. We don't consider ourselves like a clay pot, ugly and breakable, because we don't want to suffer. Paul's sufferings brought good to the church, though, right? He says, now I rejoice for my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up, filling up what is lacking for the sake of the body, that is the church. So he knows all of his sufferings, everything he's doing to grow the church, to build the church, to, to support the church is edifying the church. His sufferings edify the church. But also without Paul's willingness to suffer as described in 2 Corinthians 11, where he described miseries he had undergone to bring the gospel to Asia, there would have been no church in Asia. The gospel advances through hardships. Paul also demonstrates why you can't steal his joy. His joy wasn't related to his calling, right? His joy was related to his calling. His calling was directly from Christ. It wasn't from man. Man didn't give it to, man, to him, so man couldn't take it from him. I think that whenever we look at preachers and stuff and our pastors and we go, you know, boy, he just, he just didn't have it today. And, and then we think that we have the right to sit out here and critique what is being preached if it's the Word of God and, and truly the Word of God. And, and, we, and we have the right to say, you know, Pastor just didn't have it today. Wasn't a good sermon today. You know, I think that, 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 that's a pride issue on our side. That, that, that's not the preaching of God's word. That's a pride issue of the church. What is the book of Philippians referred to as? Anybody know? Anybody remember? Remember it's the epistle of joy? And where was it written? In, in prison? The epistle of joy written in prison? What joy can come from prison? Well, you'd have to ask Paul that because I think we would have trouble understanding that. The book of Jeremiah. I love Jeremiah. What's he considered? The weeping prophet, right? The weeping prophet. What'd they do to Jeremiah, though? No, no one would listen to this guy, right? They, 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 they dug a hole in the ground, threw him in it. Tossed him in it, left him to die. We don't care what you have to say. We're not going to listen to what you have to say. But look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 15. He was talking, this Jeremiah talking to God. He says, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Jeremiah got it. 
He understood. You can't steal their joy because it didn't come from man. But this truth isn't just for the giants of the Bible. You and I who are filled with the Holy Spirit should consider our joy as a gift from Christ as well. Man can't steal it. I mean, what an honor is that? We can give it away. I mean, sin in our life, we can give our joy away, right? But the gospel spreads through hardships. Remember 9-11? Remember those days we're coming up on the an- another anniversary? Remember how full the churches were? I mean, I, I can remember here, it was just packed. It was having services and, and prayer times. It was just packed. I mean, it, it waned. It didn't take long for that to, to leave. But, but hardships advanced the gospel. People look to the church. People look to the gospel when there's times of hardship. The gospel has always spread through missionary hardships. Just read some of their tragic stories. Look at the people that's been martyred, that's died, that's starved to death. But all of that, all these big things that, that we're talking about here, there, there is more here that, that is subtle. Okay? And, and, and we want to talk about that. Believers grow. Believers, us, we grow through our personal sufferings. It's time of growth for us as we grow through those sufferings. And the good we receive flows out to others, thus edifying the church. So our hardships that we go through as the body flow out to others, thus edifying the church, thus strengthening, strengthening all of us. Does that make sense? Good through hardships. Our suffering is not pointless. It is not meaningless. Paul says afflictions are for the sake of Christ's body, that is the church. At least in part, our suffering is mandated by God so we can strengthen and edify our brothers and sisters in Christ so that they and we may strive toward Christian maturity. Your suffering just doesn't belong to you. I know you want to own it, but it doesn't just belong to you. You are members of a body, this body, the bodies of believers. And, and Scripture says we are one body. Your suffering is the body's maturity as much as it is for yours. So, so when you go through something, the body goes through it with you. Therefore, it strengthens the body. Your suffering is there to build up the church of Christ. It is there for the people of God to be given faith and hope and confidence in the hour of their trials. When turmoil comes to your family, where do you turn? Church every time. Right? The church every time. As you should. And in return, the church responds. Why do prayer lists exist? Why do we pray? Why do we have a prayer list on Wednesday nights that we go over every Wednesday night in that in the parlor? Why does it exist? I mean, the people on it have probably forgot that they're on it. We add people to this prayer list. We bring names to this prayer list. The people that's on it sometimes don't even know that they're on this prayer list. But why does this prayer list exist? It, it exists so that we can hurt with these people, so that we can go through this trial with these people, so that we can pray for these people, so that we can be edified through what God does in their situation. That's why the prayer list exists. It's not just names on a list and we hope God does something. We're edified every time we look at a name. And it may be on there for weeks, months, or years. And then we finally see God answer that prayer. And it may not be the way that we want it answered, but we learn 
that God is still in control. Building up, not tearing down. So your suffering is also the body's suffering because one of God's purposes in suffering is the maturity of the whole church. We're to share in one another's sufferings. We hurt when brothers and sisters hurt. We mourn when a brother or sister is mourning. We stand in the gap when one of us is sick and their family need our help. We all know that as members of the church, we're to rejoice together and to mourn together. But do we understand that these occasions of mourning are giving for our maturity? I think we look at times of mourning as just that. It's just a bad time. <laughs> Instead of, how, how, is, how is God growing me through this situation? Suffering is God's instrument to bring about the maturity of the whole church. In other words, sometimes God appoints his children to suffer so the whole body will become mature. That's just the way it is. We grow closer as a body of believers, thus making the body healthier and more effective. If we truly are a body, each part dependent on the other, then it cannot be any other way. One person suffering is everybody suffering. And we look at verse 25. We look at Paul, Paul's ministerial change. We look at, you know, he says, I became a minister of the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. You know, there, there's, there's words that describe ministers. Um, uh, one word that you're very familiar with, uh, it's where we get our word deacons from. It's deaconos. It's, 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 it's what you're familiar with, which describes the, the servant portion of, 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 of our deacons and what their job is. But it's also, it's also a term that's attached to our pastors as well because of, of the servant aspect of, of that. And when, when, when we look at our pastors, it, it literally means waiter or busboy, the, per, the person who takes away the food. The person who takes away the food. It's a very common word. Paul sees himself as a very common person. In 2 Corinthians, he reminds us that the gospel is glorious, but he is not. He sees himself as a clay pot, ugly and breakable. Paul tells Timothy that clay pots were used to take out the garbage. The food was served a lot of times on these elaborate gold plates, but thrown away in these ugly clay pots. Paul says, be a clay pot. Be humble. Paul says, he's not a, he, he's, Paul says he is a common minister. We should be shocked that God can do anything through us. We should be shocked at that. But from the perspective of what it means, it is simply a common servant. Paul is just a common servant, undeserving. He also refers to himself as a doulos. In Romans, he says he is a doulos of Jesus Christ. He's a slave. Not only is he common, but he's also submissive and under orders. He's a submissive slave to Christ. This charge has preaching at its main focus. The phrase to make the word of God fully known literally reads that I might complete the word of God. Preaching must be open the word of God. Paul affirms that such preaching is primary to an authentic ministry. There is no shortcut. and It takes work. It takes lots of work to preach the word of God. Anyone who's truly trying spends hours trying to prepare to preach the word of God. It's not something you just flippantly go about. 
preaching the Word of God, standing here before you today, the reason it's so humbling is because of, of the great task that's at hand here. Preaching the Word of God rightly. Out of God's Word. Not my words, but the Gospel. In verse 26, we, we, we see the, the mystery. What is this great mystery? It says the mystery hidden for all the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What's this great mystery? It's not a mystery anymore. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Christ with us and Christ in us. It's Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. You see a lot of the in your Old Testament, there wasn't a, a lot known about this at this time, right? You know, it was, it was still a mystery. They, there was prophecy that they knew was going to be fulfilled, but how that was going to be carried out was still this great ministry and how Christ was truly going to make atonement for all of our sins. It's the gospel. We're getting there. People cannot know Christ better without knowing God's word. Verse 27, Paul, Paul's preaching set forth a mystery. Namely, that in some way, God's saving purpose was going to extend to the Gentiles. Isaiah says that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Romans says, as it is written, I will praise you around the Gentiles and sing to your name. Paul's charge was take the gospel to the Gentiles. Go plant churches. Go build churches. Go edify churches. Go strengthen those churches. From an ancient Jewish, Jewish perspective, that seemed impossible. Seemed impossible, mainly because of the mutual disdain that they had for one another. That you was going to bring the Jews and Gentiles together and that God was going to save all. It was a mystery indeed. The prophesied reconciliation of the Jews and Gentiles was truly a mystery. Then Christ came and the middle wall was broken down. Jews and Gentiles became together a new man establishing peace. Jews and Gentiles all sat down at one table and counted themselves one in Christ for the first time ever. So what did Paul do? Verse 28, Paul would go from church to church. If you look at Paul's ministry... He covered a lot of ground, but what would he do? He would go from church to church to church, come back, report. He'd go back to those same churches, put in elders, come back and report. He would go back to those churches, strengthen, come back and report. Every time he would go, he would make the same trip around the Mediterranean to these churches, come back and report. He was there to, church, to, to strengthen the church, to help build them, to help correct them when they needed correction but it's all for the edification of the church. Paul's amongst them. He taught them and strengthened them. What Paul meant when he said we proclaim him, he means we proclaim the whole counsel of God. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament points to him. In verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all of his, Christ, talking about Christ, energy that powerfully works within me. He, he struggles with all this work, with all this toil, with all this energy that he's gotten 
from being commissioned by Christ to go. See, Paul was driven. He worked hard to carry the gospel, preach it, and strengthen the church. He knew his calling and went all in because Paul knew there was no greater blessing than to be called by Christ. And I want you to think about that whenever you think of our, our pastors today and the pastors that you've had, the ones you've agreed with, the ones you haven't agreed with. If they've truly been called by Christ, it's Christ that, whose authority he's under. And it's important that we look at that and understand that. He's not under the authority of man. And I think we lose sight of that a lot of times. I think we lose sight. I think, I think we have the attitude a lot of times that, well, the pastor works for us. That's just wrong. That's bad teaching. That's bad understanding of God's word. Paul struggles with all this energy. His love and passion to minister and preach brought struggles in Paul's life. Paul's passion comes from Christ who called him and lives in him. Man didn't give it to him. Man can't take it away. So there's this obligation to preach the whole scripture because Christ is at the center of the whole counsel of God. So to preach the word is to preach Christ. Paul says this is what we do. So staying ready takes discipline. It's not always easy to make it to church, is it? It takes commitment, it takes discipline, but it's what we do. We get out of bed, we come to church. Routines are good. I'm a routine person. I'm, I just got to tell you, I'm a, I can't fly by the seat of my pants. I'm a routine person. I get up at the same time every day, and I typically go through the same motions. I like routines. But do we think about why we brush our teeth? <laughs> no. We get up and brush our teeth. At least I hope you do. Twice a day at least, Some, sometimes three times, right? But why do we brush our teeth? We, we brush our teeth without thinking about why we should brush our teeth. We just brush our teeth. But we see the effects of when you don't brush your teeth, right? You can see those effects. And why, why do we change the oil in our car? Do, do, we, do we even think about the reasons? Do we have to debate why it's good to change the oil in your car? Do we have to debate why it's good to brush your teeth, to take a bath? Do you use deodorant, young men? If you live with a teenage boy, you know what I'm talking about. But we don't think about whether this is a good idea or not, idea or not do we? We, we, know, we know that it's just good. And if we don't change the oil in our car, guess what? Our car is not going to be running. If we don't brush our teeth, we're not going to have teeth. If we don't take a bath, we're not going to have friends. <laughs> but why are these routines not built into us when it comes to the local church? Why do we have to think about whether we're going to go to church on Sunday or not? Why do we have to think about if we're going to show up to prayer meeting or not? Why do we have to look at it as, well, I have to sacrifice something to go? Why is brushing our teeth a routine that we go through thoughtlessly, but opening the Word of God is something that we have to sacrifice to do? Showing up to be amongst God's people is something that's hard for us to do. 
we look at Sunday mornings a lot of times as, well, I went to church, checked the box, got my social fix for the week, but we changed the oil in our car knowing that our car's going to quit running if we don't. And we should go to church because we can see the effects of our lives, of what it's like without being part of the body. Why? So not to forsake the gathering of his people. Scripture tells us to go, be part of the church, grow, grow in your sanctification, get out of your comfort zone, be part of the body, be part of what God's doing in the church, find a place and so the, to edify the body and to grow so we're ready to preach about his goodness when opportunities arise.